0: Welcome to Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Shalini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University Class of 1985. My great pleasure to be
1: back with you today.
0: Our wonderful millennial co-host, Gina Pirro, St. Francis College Class of 2017, is with us. Hello, Gina.
1: Hey there,
0: Brother Greg. The purpose of Thank God for Monday is to inspire you, our audience to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times and motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how you utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very, very bold steps in their lives. We are greatly honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Chad E. Foster. Chad is the author of Blind Ambition, How to Go from Victim, visionary hello and welcome to thank god for monday chad
2: thank you brother greg and gina i appreciate you having me here thank you for that warm introduction
0: oh the pleasure is absolutely ours we're very curious so where do you consider your hometown uh, chad and uh, tell us about your growing up
2: please yes i grew up in knoxville tennessee and lived there for the first 25 years of my life and and living there you know it was a bit of an unusual time period for I I would think according to most standards you know growing up when I was about 3 years old my parents noticed that I had difficulty seeing in really dimly lit rooms so they took me to Duke University where I was diagnosed with an inherited retinal condition an eye disease and my parents were cautioned that at some point in my life it was very likely that I would go blind. But because I was able to see and and be pretty active, instead of signing me up for a special school for the blind, as the doctors recommended, they signed me up for soccer. (laughs) And so I I played sports. I played football and basketball and soccer. In high school, I wrestled and ran track and, and drove a car and You know, lived a very active lifestyle for the great majority of of my childhood. And then when I was in college at about 21 years old, it was roughly between the ages of 19 and 23 is when my eyesight really began to deteriorate to where what the doctors had predicted came to fruition. And so I was in college when my eyesight really faded to black and I had to get a medical withdrawal from my major, I wanted to go into the pre-medical field because I, I wanted to go and uh, and help people. And uh, all of a sudden, that that was called into question because I wasn't even sure if I could help myself. You know, I'd seen myself as hard-charging young man, ready to hopefully make a difference in people's lives. And and now I wasn't even sure if I could walk independently. So it's really hard to see yourself as hard-charging. And and how do you how do you help other people when you're not even sure if you can help yourself? So. That was a difficult time for me in in uh, in my early twenties. We are so blessed to have
0: someone of your ilk on thank God for Monday today and just to do a little bit of a deeper dive on what we just talked about, yeah. did you notice chad uh a change in your eyesight was it all at once or was it kind of a gradual diminishment if you will?
2: It was gradual for a you know some period of time uh, it I I noticed small, small changes. By the time I got to 18, 19 years old, I started to notice the slide began to happen more quickly. And so the symptoms would be, it was almost like looking through a a fog. If you've ever looked through a fog and you noticed, hey, it's really hard to see. I have these blind spots in my field of vision. And the fog began to spread in my field of vision. So gradually... My blind spots became more uh, just pervasive. Everywhere I looked was a blind spot. And, you know, even when my vision was, was still pretty good, you know, the interesting thing about blind spots, and this is both figurative and literal, is you don't know what you cannot see when you cannot see it. And so the way that you find out that you have a blind spot, whether you're walking around and literally going blind or figuratively learning about the blind spots that you have in your life, You, you find out about these blind spots by bumping into things. And that, that's what happened to me. And I was learning the limitations of my eyesight as my eyesight began to fade. And that was a, that was a challenging period because it, uh, yeah, it, it it was a physical hardening that took place. I had to kind of toughen up physically, but, but also mentally and emotionally having to adapt to the bumps and bruises that, that life put in front of me, both physically and emotionally.
1: Wow. Well, I can't help notice, Chad, that you do seem to me like someone who's very resilient. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine going through something that sounds so scary. And yet keeping this sense of resilience and positivity. I'm almost wondering if you feel like your parents did the right thing by, um, you know, keeping you in sports and making sure that you had all those opportunities growing up. Uh, what, what were your well, I thoughts say, on this? always say, you
2: know, this is a really good time to go blind. And I say that. Kind of tongue in cheek, but you know, with with the technology that we have, it, it is really about your perspective and how you choose to see things. Uh, and I think that optimism definitely has helped me. But my parents certainly made the right decision because I think a lot of people get caught up in raising children. They think that they're raising children when, in fact, they're they're not raising children. They're raising adults. And so if you're raising your children and you're expecting them to underperform or you're expecting mediocrity or you're coddling them and not preparing them for the road ahead, then I'm afraid that's what you'll get more than likely. But if you expect your children to do great things, regardless of what obstacles lie in front of them. I think only that we have to, to be very careful about the expectations we create for our kids. And, and all that being said, I lived this life on one end of that spectrum. My parents were on the other. Now being a father myself, wow, the, the amount of courage it took for them to do what they did, knowing the conditions that I was dealing with, it just, it's, it's incredible. And I, I marvel and, and wonder whether or not I would have the courage and conviction to do that. I think I would have The knowledge that it needs to be done but but having the courage to follow through with with that knowing that my eyesight would go out and you know at some point it would it would completely be gone and and what is the right decision to make in each of those times in my life whether it's sports or driving or any number of decisions that have such such consequential impact those are those are not easy decisions.
1: Absolutely. And the reason I ask and thank you, Chad, is because, you know, we never know. There might be a listener today who's going through something similar or even the same situation. So to hear from your perspective how it impacted you, it sounds like something that was actually positive um, in a way that that could be very helpful for them as well.
2: Absolutely.
1: Now, you mentioned um, a little bit about your experience growing up and where did you go to college? Well, I did my
2: undergraduate work at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. So that was my hometown. I grew up there. It's a big university town. Knoxville is a bit big into athletics, you know, the football team. We were actually really good back then. We won the national championship. We've we've had a tough run of luck, you know, as of late in the last 10 or 15 years, it's not been quite as, quite as enjoyable, but, but, you know, we still cheer nonetheless and and hopefully we're going to get things turned around. But I, I went to UT and as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to go into the pre-medical field because I wanted to help other people and ended up getting a change in major when I was there uh, and switched. Mm-hmm. You know, As I went blind, I had to flush essentially 85 hours of credit down the drain and start all over oh because I, I wasn't able to pursue what I wanted to do. I was in a couple of classes, anatomy and physiology, and part of those classes included identifying parts of the human body. And so we were, you know, at, in in the in the lab looking at cadavers. And I don't mind to feel around, but you have to draw the line somewhere. I was not prepared <laughs> to feel the human cadaver <laughs> to identify parts on it. So I said, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And obviously there was a lot of a lot of uh, you know challenges that I was facing at the time on top of all of that. And so I just opted to pivot and go into business because I thought business was flexible enough. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I wasn't even entirely sure what I could do. I had just gone blind. I wasn't familiar with the tools available. And so I went into business because I thought at least it would give me optionality in terms of what I could do with it. Once I figured out what I wanted to do. And uh, it turns out that was, that was a really good decision for me as I, as I worked through the psychology of the decisions that I had in front of me and, and knowing that, you know, the person, that I had imagined I would be was just as just as dead as those bodies that we were studying in anatomy and physiology and, and knowing that the dreams that I had for myself, really how I imagined my future was no longer a possibility. So my you know, my self identity was called into question and it was, it was a really challenging time. What amazes
0: me, and I have a feeling, Gina as well, Chad, is your ability to uh, make some jokes, like you just did about the dead bodies, certainly, and things of that nature. Uh, given your situation, uh, you certainly could laugh. have taken uh, a much more serious and, and somber tone to it. No doubt about that.
2: Well, for me, humor is medicine. It's it's medicine. It reminds me that, you know, look this thing called life none of us are getting out of this thing alive right and so we we don't we don't control all of our circumstances in our lives but we can choose how we show up and how we enjoy or or don't our circumstances we choose the meaning we attach to things and you know while i take my job and my family and everything very seriously i, I don't take Life so seriously that I cannot have fun. I can't joke because if I'm not joking and I'm not having fun, then to me, life is really just not worth living. So I want to have fun while I'm here. These are the circumstances I've been dealt, and so I'm going to make the best of them. And you can bet I'm I'm gonna drop a few jokes along the way, a few blind jokes for sure, just to <laughs> kind of help ease the tension too. But but it's it's really just meant to to try and enjoy it because we're here for a short time and I think we have to take advantage of that.
1: Wow. Your positivity is contagious, Chad. Now, this, I can tell, is already going to be one of those really inspiring shows. We, you know, all of our shows have some level of this, but um, I think some more so than others, right? And um, to hear about some of the challenges you've had in your life, how you've turned them around, how how you've used things like humor and positivity and learnings to get through um, Mm -hmm. and bring yourself out stronger on the other side instead of letting it Kind of catapult you into, you know, oblivion, which some people do, right? Um, yep. it could, it, I'm sure something like this could take a really big toll on someone's mental health, um, yeah. and spiritual health. So could you just tell us maybe a little bit about how you got through one of the lowest points in your life and how you stay motivated to move forward through it?
2: Yeah. So, so obviously the lowest point for me was, was in college. As I came to that realization that I was I was going to have to start all over, basically. And I was going to have to start all over without the luxury of eyesight. I was a, a visual learner. And I wasn't sure, again, what I could do. Uh, the hopes and dreams for myself were all called into question. And I was feeling like a victim. I was down and out. I was feeling sorry for myself. It was all poor me. And I'm not here to tell you that I was exempt from that because I wasn't. There were, you know, several months, a year or two that it really got me down. And I went to get my first guide dog at Leader Dogs for the Blind. And that, for me, turned out to be the real tipping point in my life. When I went there, I arrived on campus in their Rochester, Michigan facility. And I had this woe is me mentality. I felt really bad for myself. I was, you know, the poor guy, poor me, woe is me. And after arriving there, I started to get to know some of my classmates there who were also there to get a guide dog. And some of them had more disability than I had. Some of them had mental impairments, and and they were also dealing with blindness. Some of them were on dialysis because they had diabetes that had also robbed them of their eyesight. And then some of them were deaf and blind, and they were getting a dog to be independent. Now, for these particular people, we had to talk with an interpreter who would then sign into their hands, and that Mm -hmm. was the only way that they could communicate, yet they were getting a guide dog to travel independently. Now, it's one thing when you meet someone on the street and you hear how rough they have it, but when you when you live with someone for a month and see their challenges firsthand, it really etches it into your memory, and so that moment for me was a real tipping point. None of us control all the circumstances around us, but we all control how we react to a situation, how we choose to show up. And so that was my tipping point where I learned that the key to happiness is not what you have. It's not what you don't have. It's your perspective. It's how you choose to see the world around you. And all of that really is anchored to gratitude and I was very fortunate to learn that lesson at an early age, and I had to pay a heavy price to learn that lesson. But no doubt, I would much rather pay that heavy price and learn that lesson than, than to live my life looking for happiness externally. A lot of people live their entire lives looking for some external factor to create happiness for them. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's mm-hmm. getting into a certain school. Maybe it's a relationship. And they're not happy because they're waiting on something outside of them to make them feel happy. Where, truthfully, real happiness, the kind of happiness that becomes your set point. You know, we all have these flurries of joy that we get. Maybe we get that promotion and we get joy. Maybe we get into the college that we want and we have that joy. Maybe we have that wonderful relationship and we get joy. Mm-hmm. But I think of happiness as your set point when things maybe aren't going great or you're not having an amazing day or you're having a down day that really gets back to your perspective and to me that's really anchored to your gratitude that you have in life you know here i was 23 years old had many years of eyesight all of my hearing and kidney function mm-hmm. and i you know was I had all of my cognitive faculties and so i had all these things to be thankful for i didn't ask to to be given The eyesight that I had, I didn't ask to be born at the dawn of the information age, right before the internet was lifting off and paving a way for a services economy, creating job opportunities for people with disabilities, people who are blind. I didn't ask to be born in the United States, the wealthiest nation on earth. I could have easily have just as easily been born in a different time period, maybe in the, the medieval times, in an area where manual labor would have been required and I would not have been able to flourish as much with a disability, with a visual disability. So all those things are just as probable. So who am I to sit back and complain that I didn't get the best cards to play the game because I could have easily have received worse cards than what I received. So I I learned then that it's not about the cards that we, we are dealt. We all start with different circumstances. We all have a different starting position in our lives The key is how we play the cards that we've been dealt and how do we make the best out of, out of the situation that we're facing.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: One of the things that really
0: attracted us to you, Chad, was on the back of the book, it talks about Chad E. Foster is a husband, a father, an avid snow skier. This is not a joke who is not just competing with his condition, but competing with the world's most successful people. And I love how you started off that you're a husband and father. We would love, I'm sure our audience would as well, to hear more about your wonderful family.
2: Tell us more, please. Absolutely. So I've been married for almost 19 years. Oh, wow. My wife and I met back in 2001. I say that I'm from the South. I'm from Knoxville. She's from the Deep South. She's from Brazil. <laughs> so that's the oh, really Deep wow. South, South America. And uh, yeah, we've been, we've been married for, like I said, almost 19 years. We have two amazing children. Juliana is our daughter. She's 12. And like I said, she thinks she's, I mentioned it earlier in the pre-call she thinks she's going on 19 (laughs) going through that whole preteen thing, which is, which is, which is interesting. You know, you know how that is if if you, uh, if, if you've been around them and our son is Jackson, he's just like me. He's, four years old, almost five. And he's like me with except perfect eyesight. So we have to really keep our head on a swivel with him. And and my wife's name, I don't think I mentioned is Evie. Uh, But, you know, we live here in Atlanta and, you know, we just, we we feel very fortunate, right? We all have our health. And obviously I was very concerned. My wife was concerned. My condition, my eye condition is hereditary, Mm -hmm. but it's autosomal recessive, meaning neither of my parents are symptomatic, but obviously they are carriers of the gene. And so we were, we were very mindful of whether or not my wife was also a carrier and whether or not they would be symptomatic. So 100% they're carriers of my gene because I only have two bad copies of that gene. That's a mutated LRAT gene, but they are not symptomatic. So they, they don't have, they're not, uh, you know, they're not going to go blind. So we just have to keep an eye on them genetically and, and who they marry and, and look at those sorts of things to consider. But Net-net, right, we're extremely, extremely blessed to have uh, an amazing family, right, and, and to, to have all of our health, because that is something that we've all found this last year is, I think, too easy to take for granted, as, as most of us had, and, and COVID has reminded us that you can't really take anything for granted nowadays. No, nothing is guaranteed except the present.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you got that right, Chad. No doubt about that. And uh, nineteen years—there's not a lot of married couples who can say nineteen uh, beautiful years. Is there a secret or two you'd like to pass on to the listeners today about a wonderful marriage?
2: Well, I think it's—it's it's, um, you know being knowing that that it's never going to be it's never going to be perfect, right? But it is about putting in the effort and and having the you know the humility. To, to continue working on it. It's, it's one of those things. If, if people, I think maybe sometimes they get misguided by the way that, that movies p- portray marriage and relationships and things like that. It's never going to be perfect. It's almost like the, the, the misleading things that people see on social media. They think that, Oh, that's not my life. And, mm-hmm. and so something must be wrong with me because I don't have these perfect pictures of these perfect vacations and my life isn't perfect. And, Nobody's life is perfect, and it, it just it, it takes commitment, and it takes determination, and it takes a little bit of humility to say that, you know what, I messed up when I messed up, and, and own it, and try and make it better, and put the other person ahead of yourself, which is not always the easiest thing to do.
1: Right. It's about serving and not being served, and sometimes that's really hard.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Love is like love is a verb, right? It's, it's a verb. And it's the act. It's almost like people expect love to be a state of mind. Um, and, And in some ways we feel that being in love feeling, but there's the verb I think that precedes it, the act of love. And it's, it's a lot like, I think, success. People expect success to be an event. And I, I don't think it is. I think it gets down to the act. Like what, What's, you know, how do you approach it and how hard do you work at it? And, you know, what are you willing to tolerate? And what's your, what's your definition? And, um, all of those things I think are, are akin in those ways. But I think the, you know, the, the main thing is, you know, there's a big difference between just kind of waiting on love to happen to you and, and working at it. It, it, it does take work.
1: Totally. Such a good question. Thanks, Brother Greg and Chad. Thanks for such a great response as well. Now we're interested also to hear more about what you're up to nowadays with your career. So could you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Sure. So right now I'm at Red Hat. Uh, we're an open source software company. I've been at Red Hat for nearly five years. We have a, a tremendous business model. We sell free software, and that's not easy to do, right? We sell free software, but right. if you think about <laughs> how people go out and buy bottles of water. They'll buy a bottle of water. They pay for the water, even though the water is free. So they'll pay for that bottle of water because someone goes out and they scoop up that water and they sanitize it and they make it easy to consume and they put it in a bottle and make it convenient at a local store. And people will pay for that. Well, at Red Hat, we do the same thing, but with software code. So we collect software code that's written Freely in the open source community. And then we'll take a basket of projects and scoop those up and make a product. And then we'll, we'll take that product and then make it supportable for the enterprise so that, you know, people, businesses with mission critical workloads can run their workloads on that safely and and, in a stable environment. So they get this great velocity of innovation that takes place in the open source community but they really pay us so that we can help create the stability they need to to consume the innovation in a way that doesn't jeopardize their ability to run mission critical workloads. And so in, in particular, you know, what what I do is work in sales and uh, before joining the team that I'm on right now in our vertical industry team, I led our, our, uh, Finance team, our, our corporate and PNT finance team, and then also led our global deal desk. So, my career okay. for the last, gosh, uh, 15, 20 years has been all about deal making. And so, I've been very fortunate to, to have a lot of experience with deals and, and doing larger deals. And, and that before joining Red Hat, I was in defense IT. So, I worked on you know, large programs in defense IT, multi-billion dollar programs. Before that, I was in the commercial outsourcing space. So we're working on multi-billion dollar commercial outsourcing deals. And so now I, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to apply those skills on software deals where, you know, it's one of the, we're known as one of the world's most innovative companies, one of the best places to work. And I think mm-hmm. that gets reflected in the fact that IBM decided to buy us uh, last year in 2019 for a, a record amount for a software company. They paid $34 billion to us. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Not not bad for a company selling free software, right? <laughs> <laughs> Brother Greg, we should go into this. It sounds like a <laughs> very, very lucrative business.
0: That's for sure. What a great strategy. And speaking of great, uh, we know, Chad, that you have a seeing-eye dog, Sarge, Tell us more about Sarge, please, and explain for us his importance in your life.
2: Well, Sarge is the true celebrity, if, if I'm being honest. I am basically his wingman. Um, I'm, I'm responsible for managing his fan club. So Sarge, he, he really does even have his own Instagram handle, Sarge the Guide Dog out there. But he is he's a German Shepherd. He's about 100 pounds. And I've had him now for a couple of years. He's four years old. And Sarge is, he's basically my eyes and I went blind and you know, you're trying to figure out which dog you're going to get. And this was several years ago, uh, but I decided back then, if you're going to get a dog to watch after you, why not get a German shepherd? Because that's what shepherds do are watch after people. And so Sarge definitely fits that bill. He is just, he's eager to make me happy. He lives to, to make sure that I praise him. And that's a big part of working with a guide dog. Is, is, is keeping it a game, you know, making it fun so that they want to do the work. And he is, he's just remarkable. It, it's a dog that when I was telling the seeing eye about my knees, I said, listen, I travel a lot. I don't have a routine and I travel about 80, 90% of the time. I'm usually in an airport, always going to a hotel. I, I'm in conventions with 15,000 people. I'm sometimes in my office by myself. The dog will need to be fine with. 25 hour trips to Asia. He'll he'll need to be fine with staying at home. He'll need to be fine with laying down during a meeting for 15 hours or getting up and walking 10 miles, depending on what's going on. He'll need to be fine with escalators, elevators, planes, trains, automobiles, you name it. And they said basically you're asking for a dog with a cape. <laughs> you're looking for a super dog. Yes. And that super dog is Sarge. That's exactly what he is. He can he can handle whatever our schedule calls for with, uh, with it it just, it's, it's remarkable. If you see him in action and you see us navigating, you know, with, he'll be guiding me with luggage in tow. And it's just amazing the way he navigates the world's busiest airport. I live in Atlanta. So we're in the busiest airport in the world. And he does it like such a professional. You wouldn't even know if you saw us that I had a vision problem because he makes it look so easy.
1: This has been so helpful, Chad. Unfortunately, we do only have time for one more question. We like to save one of the best for last. Um, For where can our loyal listeners purchase your book, Blind Ambition, How to Go from Victim to Visionary, and how can they best contact you for more advice and helpful tips?
2: Thank you. So my book is available at all major retailers, so Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, Books a million. Any place where you buy books, you'll find Blind Ambition. And they can also go to my website where they can find more information about me, my speaking, my book, uh, my social media handles. All of that is on chadefoster.com.
1: Thank you so much. Again, listeners, please, please, please connect with Chad. That's chad e foster um and his book blind ambition how to go from victim to visionary after you've connected with chad and checked out his book if you haven't already please make sure you're connected with us on our thank god for monday social media you could find us on tgfm radio on instagram facebook and twitter or thank god for monday on linkedin listeners
0: sadly once again we're out of time gina brother greg saying our hope and prayer is that When you wake up on Monday morning, just like Chad E. Foster does, you'll say thank God for Monday.